5 o'clock in Pirate Country, and 94.3 The Game is going to get you home with the P-Man. In 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Lock it in. Turn it up. It's time for the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. This is the flagship station of the ECU Pirates. They said I won't be nothing. Now they always say congratulations. Work so hard, forgot how to vacation. They ain't never had the dedication. People hating, say we changing, look, we made it. Yeah, we made it. Welcome into the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben B. Baby Barn filling in for the P Man alongside me, my right hand man, the ref. Philip Pilkington, how you doing, my man? Pretty good. I'm really hyped because Coach Dooley got his 100th win. 100th win. Congratulations, Coach Dooley. 100th win for Coach Joe Dooley, and it wasn't pretty, but nonetheless, they got the win. They're currently sitting one game over 500 right now, uh, looking for their first finish over 500 since 2013. And uh, looking at the next couple of games, Philip, very doable, very doable. You got Tulsa, who was just might be worse than USF. And USF is pretty bad. We saw that last night, folks. And uh, Wichita State uh, kind of been a little bit disappointing this year. Uh, got a lot of preseason acclaim. Not as somebody to win the conference, but expected to be somewhat of that upper echelon in the conference, maybe top five finish. Uh, not necessarily looking like they're going to finish in the top five this year. So Wichita is very much a winnable game. And... Uh, Let's start with just kind of our recap of the game last night. Very puzzling game, very bizarre game. A uh, lot of fouls called, and um, obviously I was sitting on the uh, USF broadcast, um, had to do some work with them, and they said the one thing their head coach, uh, Brian Gregory, wanted his team to do was not draw fouls. Do not, no, not draw, do not commit fouls against ECU. And we've learned with this ECU basketball team that kind of their whole offense or when they're really clicking uh, is when they get to the free throw line and they do really well at the charity stripe and uh, they end up going to the free throw line. What was it, over 30 times, Philip? So they went to the free throw line 38 times. And what's really amazing about this is less than half of those were in the first half. So yep. you had 17 in the first half, 21 in the second. So it was already a point of interest or a point of um, – in order to a point the coach made point of, emphasis. The, point of emphasis. There, there we go. go. Thank yeah. you. You know, I'm good at math, not English. And um, then I'm sure he brought it up at halftime. You would think, and whether he brought it up or not doesn't really matter because ECU attempted 21 second half free throws. Now, I believe four of those were at the end of the game when they were intentionally being yeah. fouled as part of a strategy thing. Yeah. But still, that would be 17 second-half free throws, totaling uh, 38 for the game. So that's uh, definitely not what South Florida wanted to do. And Coach Dooley even said it in his post-game press conference, thank God for those free throws. Yeah. Well, we were kind of talking it before the show. Um, we were kind of really taking a hard look or really thinking about this ECU basketball team and trying to kind of pinpoint the issues and what this team is supposed to be. And then we kind of got to the big question, uh, what is exactly the identity of this ECU basketball offense? What is it supposed to be? Are you a team that's supposed to be taking threes? Is this a team that's running through Vance Jackson? Is this a team running through Tristan Newton? Do you want to get physical down in the block? What I mean, what exactly is this offense supposed to be? And the one thing that we have seen that's been consistent, consistent is the fact that we do really well at the free throw line but uh, not else when it comes to that offense. I mean, just a lot of questions, and it's hard to pinpoint what exactly is the strength on our offense besides our free throw shooting. 
Yeah, I don't know. But you know what I do know? That it's really exciting when Luigi Debo takes the ball <laughs> up the court, man. Luigi trying to go coast to coast. That's what our offense needs to be. I mean, heck, we're already not going to make the tournament. Why not at least make it fun? Let's watch Luigi Debo go coast to coast. That was kind of a bizarre moment. Just kind of decided to take the ball down the court. And everybody, I think everybody just kind of held their breath and just kind of gasped, like, what is going on here? Like, are we about to see something really cool or something really bad? And we ended up seeing a turnover. So... <laughs> that's why seven-footers don't take the ball down the court like that. But definitely a fun moment, definitely an interesting moment. Just don't ever do it again. I believe Joe Dooley had his thoughts on that one specific moment. So bizarre you had to ask Coach about it. Here's Joe Dooley and Luigi Debo decided to take it up the court. Uh, in what was it? The Was it the second quarter when he decided to do that? The second half? Second half, yeah. yeah. Here we go, Joe Dooley. Maybe I should get my realtor's license and, and, and not have to watch this. That was his thoughts on uh, Luigi Debo deciding to take it up the court. Who could blame him? I mean, just kind of a, to be quite frank, a boneheaded decision by Luigi Debo there. I mean, I, I honestly didn't know what was going on when that was happening. What were kind of your thoughts when you saw that? I didn't know what to think. I mean, when he first got the ball, I had no problem with him taking a few steps there and a few dribbles. Yeah. But – he needed to have, kind of have his head on a swivel and know where the other players were because if he wants to start a fast break, that's fine. But he can't be the guy starting, doing the middle and the finishing part. And then he didn't look, or I should say, locate his teammates until after he was already in trouble. And like yeah. you said, it just kind of led to a really bad turnover, a really sloppy live ball turnover that could have easily been prevented. Yeah. Looking at the first half here, uh, kind of sloppy, not great for the Pirates. They went into halftime. I believe they were trailing at halftime, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, no, they, they were, were up one at half. According to yeah, my little were, yeah, stat they were up sheet one, here from last they're, night, they're at one 35-34. Yeah, they were at, up one at the half. And uh, the kid, uh, Walker, from USF, had a like a ferocious dunk there at the end of the half, and you thought that was going to swing momentum towards USF's way. And come out of halftime, I believe USF had all the momentum and the fact that this Pirate team was able to rally back in the second half and really make things happen uh, just goes to show that this team hasn't given up yet. Uh, they faced adversity all year. I mean, Gully even brought it up. I think a lot of people forget they had a, like, what, a two-week layoff earlier in the season due to COVID. And then I'd like to bring up the fact that their best player in Winston Taps has not played. You miss Brandon Suggs at a very important part of your, your season in, mid, in the midst of conference play. And the same with J.J. Miles, who is one of your better – perimeter shooters besides maybe Vance Jackson and Tristan so yeah I mean it just goes to show this team still has fight uh this team's still hungry and they got a good chance to finish what is it going to be now two three games over 500 going into the year with Tulsa and Wichita State left no it's exactly um which you know you got to use that as a positive, I guess. Yeah. But then in a way it's a negative because you've played this poorly yeah. down the stretch and you could still have such a well, I wouldn't say great record, but you know, a solid record, especially compared to the last few years. Yeah. So what you realize is, wow, we put ourselves in a great position coming into league play, and you know, look what we've done with it. I mean, yes, like you said, the in injury to Suggs was demoralizing. Yeah. The fact that JJ is he's a streaky three point shooter, but that streakiness can will you to a win here or there, and he has not been in the game. And when he has. You know, Coach Dooley talked about a few weeks ago that he is very much a push-off type shooter. He doesn't yep. shoot with his arms, shoots more with his legs. legs and the yeah. fact that his ankle has been bothering him as an Achilles 
it's not allowed him to push off, and his shooting has been atrocious. He's a much better shooter than what how he has played this year, but it's not his fault. It's due to the injury. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this team's obviously had a lot of issues, and I like to bring up the fact that when you talk about Brandon Suggs and how demoralizing it was, uh, just the the point that it happened in at the season, it happened during that UCF loss that was just – I kind of look at that back at that UCF loss as a moment where things kind of changed during the season, where – Going to that game, we had a lot of promise, a lot of hype around this ECU basketball team. The ceiling is maybe we can finish fifth. Uh, I think the highest ceiling may be fourth in the conference if we're lucky. And uh, after that, it just kind of like, I think people kind of written the team off a little bit and just kind of thought, same old ECU basketball again. And when Brandon Suggs got hurt doing that UCF game, that's kind of when things really changed. And it couldn't happen during a more important time during the season when you're about to get right into the thick of things in conference play. And you had a tough conference schedule going up. I believe they had Memphis coming up. I believe they had uh, Houston as well. Just a murderer's row of teams in the conference and not having Brandon Suggs definitely was a huge killer. It was. And, you know, you bring up going into that game how good we felt about this team. Well, think about what was going on in that game with 10 minutes to go. Not only did people feel like this team could finish middle of the pack in the conference, they were beating yeah. One of the teams that was, even if ECU would have finished middle of the pack, that would have probably finished ahead of them. Yeah, and they were beating them pretty handily. Yes, it was at home, but hey, if you can split points. with UCF, I mean that's great. Yeah. And like you said, you had some tough games coming up. You know, maybe you don't beat Memphis twice in year. Maybe you don't beat Houston. But he was also out for Temple and Cincinnati. Temple and Cincinnati were two teams that ECU had already played on the road, lost tight games, and it. You think that we would have came into those games kind of with that mindset, it's tough to beat a team twice in the same year, and they would have been coming here to Menji's Coliseum for those latter two games, and you would have liked ECU's chances, but like you said, once that UCF game happened, not only was it just a demoralizing loss, the team didn't play with the same heart after the fact, and the fact that uh, maybe the most important player on this team in Brandon Suggs, yeah. and I know it sounds crazy, it's a guy who's only averaging 10 points, You know, I know he doesn't bring the ball up the court like Tristan does, or, or shoot the rock like Vance, but hey, I mean, the offense just flows more smoothly when he's on the floor. Even if he just catches the ball quick and swings it, it's just a flow thing, and I think you know, like you said earlier, one of our best perimeter defenders, which is kind of the uh, one downside to this defense. Yeah. Well, uh, thinking about Brandon Suggs here, he's been the number two guy when Jaden Gardner was here for the past three years. I mean, he's probably the most experienced within this pirate program on the team. When we're trying to figure out who's the leader of this pirate basketball team, uh, I think we need to stop looking at Vance and Tristan just because we think, okay, offensive numbers and the output on the stat sheet whoever has the best output or is a statistical leader in whatever category, they're obviously going to be the leader of the team, right? Well, that's not necessarily the case. There's things that happen in the locker room. There's things that happen in between huddles and timeouts that we don't see. And I think Brandon Suggs conducts himself with a lot of class, and you see the kind of impact he has when he's on the court, especially on defense, like you mentioned. And I think a little bit on offense, too, things flow a little bit better when Brandon Suggs is on the court, and he's a true leader on this team. No, most definitely. But I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who we all look to as a leader. It matters what's going on in the locker room. And unfortunately, we don't know what that is. But yeah. it has been said in post-game press conferences uh, earlier in the season. I cannot remember who said it. When I say earlier, not way earlier. I mean, yeah. kind of when they were going through the adversity. Yeah. Um, I think it was Tristan said, 
that this team has not turned on each other. You know, we're still all getting along in the locker room and yeah, all that. So that's a that, good yeah. thing. But still, I, I'm unclear who that guy is that steps up and, you know, they kind of rally behind, you know. Coach Dooley can give us pregame speeches and tell them stuff, but, you know, he can only do so much. It's got to be somebody in uniform to do it, and uh, I, you don't know who that guy is. You know, in basketball, it is tougher to find that guy yep. as an outsider, is yep. what I'm saying. Like, yes, you still need to have him. It's just as important. But, you know, it's not like the uh, football where it's like, okay, probably needs to be the quarterback or the, you know, middle linebacker. You know, obviously it was Ray Lewis on the Ravens teams. You yep. know, you think of all, like, the Drew Breeses of the world. Um, so it can be a little tougher to locate just because you don't see that as much on in camera on uh, the basketball court as you do the football field. But it would be nice to kind of just know who that guy is or, better yet, just even if there is one of those guys. Yeah. Well, you kind of get a good idea of that uh, watching basketball. When you kind of look at what they're doing outside the huddle when they come out of a timeout, are they communicating? Are they kind of hyping each other up? They're kind of communicating about what the next play is going to be or what the defense they're running. You don't see a lot of that when it comes to this ECU basketball team. Nobody's really stepped up and kind of really been a true leader on the court for the Pirates in just in terms of just hyping the other players up calming the other players down or just communicating before uh, the ball's in play. and just I mean, that's just a natural thing you do in basketball, and you don't see a lot of that when it comes to this Pirate team. Yeah, and you know another time you don't see? You know, you bring coming in and out of timeouts. Yeah. When you watch a lot of ACC games especially, I mean, I'm sure the other big conferences do it as well, and some of the top teams in our conference, say there's a foul. Yeah. They kind of do a quick little huddle. They're almost kind of like how the volleyball girls do after every pl- after every point yeah. in volleyball. Yeah. Uh, you know, I especially see it a lot. You know, I watch a lot of Duke games, and you know, they'll kind of huddle and just do a quick little you know conversation. And it doesn't seem like our team really does that. They're just kind of like a uh, the intramural guys I officiate. They're just kind of standing around yeah. waiting for the ball to be inbounded, waiting for the official to tell them where the point of interruption is. And it's like you would love to see a lot more communication dead ball. I mean, you might see one guy, you know, say something, hey, watch this guy or something here or there, but it doesn't seem like there's ever five guys right there up together, you know, and one guy talking to all five. No, absolutely not. Kind of putting like a final nail in the coffin when it comes to this game, just my th- final thoughts. I thought ECU played exactly how they needed to. I don't think they needed to come out overly confident or trying to do too much because we've seen at times this year, especially in non-conference play, when they try to come out and do too much, that's that's when they tend to have a lot of issues, a lot of just bizarre turnovers or a lot of miscommunication. And I think they played a little bit more modest in this game. They played a little bit more gritty and tough. And they played to their strengths. When you look at one thing, that's a strength when it comes to this ECU basketball team is their free throw shooting, and they did a good job of drawing fouls. Uh, maybe the refs kind of helped them a little bit with that. They love the blow of the whistle, but, I mean, they played to their strengths nonetheless, and I don't think they took a lot of bad shots, especially Vance Jackson. He was only uh, he only shot, I believe, 25%, no, 33% from the three, which is pretty solid but not great, but when he did take those shots from beyond the perimeter, I thought they were very smart shots. I thought this was a uh, they had a lot smarter sh- uh, shooting selection in this game, and this team just looked a whole lot more composed coming into this game, despite the fact that the game was a little bit gritty and a little bit ugly. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And you know, some people look and say, "Well, sixty-four points, yeah, they didn't score any more, you know, last night than they have all year." Yeah. But South Florida really plays a slow brand of basketball. You know, we talked about it yesterday. 
they have only let up the they've let up the fifth least amount of points out of anybody in the conference, yeah. despite letting up I believe it was worst or second worst in field goal percentage as well as three point field goal percentage. Yeah. So a lot of that is due to the teams not getting as many possessions. You know, Coach Dooley brought it up uh, last night. I believe the first contest between the two teams, South Florida got something like sixteen more possessions than ECU did. Yeah. So. You're not going to get as many possessions against South Florida. You're not going to score as many points. But like you said, it's it's the shot selection that matters and then also shooting percentage, which here I'll look at the uh, final shooting percentage stats. I guess actually we're not really great at the end of the day. They um, I think it's an improvement shot thir- though, from well, 35%. what we've been. <laughs> but it's an improvement of, from what we've been, which has kind of been saying a lot about this team. But, I, I mean, I thought – you brought up a good point when it comes to USF's defense, or more so their offense. When you look at a lot of their offensive possessions, uh, a lot of it came down the shot clock. When they finally took a shot or they finally kind of finished their offensive possession, there was only maybe four or five seconds every time on the shot clock. Or sometimes it will come down to two seconds, one second. It's not a lot of time on the shot clock. They really like to be slow and calculated with their offensive output and really take their time. And it goes back to your point where – USF is not going to give you a lot of offensive possessions or a lot of time to get things going. So the fact that they took a little bit more smarter shots and played a little bit more grittier, didn't try to take a lot of tough shots, I thought it was a very smart game plan by Joe Dooley. Yeah, also it helps that um, USF went to that zone as well, which will slow down your ability to score because you can't get as many pick and rolls and things of that nature and create yourself quick shots. But what I liked about what I thought about the ECU maturity during this game is they might pass – and get the ball into the middle of the zone, and if the shot wasn't there, they wouldn't take it. A lot of times teams, you know, they maybe get the ball in the high post on a 2-3 zone and think, oh, the ball's where it needs to be, let's shoot it right now, depending on, you know, or sorry, regardless of whether or not they get closed out on. And uh, I didn't think they did that. They were mature. They were content with passing the ball back up to the point and restarting the offense. Absolutely. That's going to be a wrap for ECU versus South Florida to get their 14th win on the year. ECU went 65 to 57 in Minji's Coliseum last night, and Joe Dilley notches his 100th win. When we come back, is David Tepper's silence as an owner keeping them from getting a quarterback? More on that next. Plus, four tickets to ECU's next game against Tulsa in Williams Arena, Minji's Coliseum. That's set for Saturday, February the 26th at 4 o'clock. If you call during the timeout, let's say if you're the fifth caller. You would win four tickets to Saturday's game. That's 252-561 game, 252-561-4263. Caller number five, when we come back, Panthers, David Tepper. Will the Panthers figure out their quarterback position? Excuse me there. It sounds like I had a stroke there. Will the Panthers figure out their quarterback position? All that and much more coming up on the other side of this quick timeout here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Eastern North Carolina's home for the Adam Gold Show. Come on in. Weekdays at noon, right here on Eastern Carolina's home for sports. I love sports. And the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94.3 The Game. Dogwood State Bank is changing the landscape of community banking. That term community banking is not just a catchy slogan for Dogwood State Bank. They're really defining what it means to bank local. Big banks may want big business, but Dogwood State Bank wants your business, no matter what size. At Dogwood State Bank, your business is big business. Come to Dogwood State Bank and you'll see the difference. Dogwood State Bank with offices in Greenville, Moorhead City, Wilmington, Raleigh, Sanford, and Charlotte. 
Are you shopping for a new boat but can't find exactly what you want or don't want? Check out Pair Custom Boats in Washington. They custom build your boat with no more or no less than exactly what you want. You can design it yourself with Pair Custom Boats. Towers, T-tops, no T-tops, forward seating, rear seating, or just a flush deck. They can customize your wants and needs in one of their four models. And the big news for 2022 is there are now two new models being introduced this year. The new 25-foot and 27-foot models will be great additions to the Pair Customs lineup. Call today 252-717-7009. Visit the website at pairmarine.com or come see us in Little Washington, North Carolina. That's 252-717-7009 for Pair Custom Boats or visit the website and check out all the models at pairmarine.com. You can sit down and build your own custom built center console with Pair custom boats. Bill Clark Homes is proud to support East Carolina athletics. The Clark family continues to make significant contributions to help ECU succeed on the field. And Bill Clark Homes is building quality homes in Pitt County with prices ranging from the 200s on up to 500,000. They're excited to announce the opening of their 4,000 square foot design center this spring. The new Bill Clark Homes Design Center is located on the corner of Red Banks Road and Greenville Boulevard. Bill Clark Homes, building family traditions. Your vehicle packs a load of safety features to protect you in an accident. At North Carolina Farm Bureau Insurance, it's our job to protect you just as well after an accident. With fast claim service from local agents, our auto coverage is a lot like an airbag. We hope you never need to use it, but we're right there and ready just in case you do. North Carolina Farm Bureau Insurance, helping you is what we do best. North Carolina Farm Bureau Mutual Insurance Company, Farm Bureau Insurance of North Carolina, and Southern Farm Bureau Life Insurance Company, an independent licensee of Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. In Greenville, contact your local Farm Bureau agent for a quote for your car, home, life, or your your health. You'll be working with neighbors you can trust. People like Alan Hill or Tony Boyd. These agents are dedicated to protecting your family and your dreams. These Farm Bureau agents are knowledgeable in a wide range of insurance products, but they are also tuned in to the Greenville community. Again, contact Alan Hill or Tony Boyd today at Farm Bureau Insurance in Greenville. 252-756-3165. That's 252-756-3165. Every Monday during the ECU baseball season, tune in as Pirate Coach Cliff Godwin talks East Carolina baseball. Brought to you by Carolina Digestive Diseases and Endoscopy Center and the Gavigan Agency. With Patrick Johnson on your home for Pirate baseball. High fly ball to left, to the track, to the wall. He cannot get it. 94.3 The Game and 94.3thegame.com. Now back to the Patrick Johnson Show. We like sports and we don't care who knows. From shooting hoops to the Super Bowl. We like sports and we don't care who knows. Welcome ball, back ball, to ball. the Pack Zonky Show. And Philip, the game please explain is yourself. Is what is this? My friends, and this is uh, the Lonely Island, man. See, I am I'm familiar with the Lonely Island. Obviously, I'm familiar with some of their uh, bigger songs. I don't know if I can say one of them on air, but... I've never been a big parody guy growing up, you know? Like, parody songs never really got to me like a lot of people. Well, isn't a parody when you, like, make fun of a song that's already been made? This isn't making fun of any songs. Well, just, you know, just silly songs like that. I don't know. Just never. Maybe, were they from SNL? Wasn't that an SNL deal? Yeah, it was, like, literally the cast of SNL. Like, I think Andy Samberg is one of them. Like, this is definitely not one of their better songs, but hey, man. We here at ninety four three the game we like sports and man yeah, we don't care we sure do yeah I mean fair enough in that aspect but I guess I just didn't really grow up SNL you know like 
when I was growing up, SNL had people like Kristen Wiig and Tina Fey, and just not my brain of comedy, you know. Not well, really SNL definitely was better back in the you know the uh, Chevy Chase, yeah, John Belushi well, days. Even in the '90s, they had some guys. Well, even Norm the, McDonald, yeah, you're right, David Adam Spade, Sandler, yeah, some real big hitters. Will Ferrell. Anyways, an interesting question was brought up by Albert Breer, uh, one of these NFL reporters, a senior NFL reporter. Uh, I guess he writes articles every week for Sports Illustrated called the Morning Morning Quarterback, if I'm not mistaken. And it uh, brings up an interesting question when it comes to our Carolina Panthers. You know me and Philip love to talk to the Carolina Panthers. Is David Tepper's silence has hurt the Panthers' search for a quarterback or maybe even some coaches, some assistants? And here was his point. Tepper still hasn't publicly backed Matt Rule. He believes that his feeling is that it hurt Carolina in its ability to hire staff for the same reason that it could hurt the team of quarterbacks. A lack of certainty regarding whether the team will be a year from now necessarily means less stability for everyone involved. And we've seen that. Matt Stafford refused to come here. Deshaun Watson has come out and stated, or there's been reports of Deshaun Watson saying he's not going to accept any trade to go to Carolina. He doesn't want to come here. He also says, now maybe even if Tepper were to say something, it wouldn't have made a difference with assistant coaches and it won't with the quarterback, but the silence certainly didn't help with the former and it won't help with the latter. First thoughts on that, Philip? Uh, I kind of disagree a little bit, but I'll let you sound off here. Well, first off, my dad texted and he agreed with us that SNL was really good back in the 80s. Yeah. However, not so good when we were young, I mean, it's still all right. Yeah. But no, I agree. Um, I think it might do with a little bit of the lack of backing. But also, I think players don't want to come here because they realize how quick he is to pull the trigger. I mean, he will... He's aggressive. Yeah, he will get rid of a guy quicker than Cliff Godman will pull somebody off the mount. Yeah. And that's quick. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty quick. <laughs> I mean, look, was the Teddy Bridgewater season great by any means no. no but when you look at it that offense scored a lot of points play in and play out he wasn't bad and even this year in Denver there was a huge difference when Teddy Bridgewater was on the field and Drew Locke was on the field yeah and Sam Darnold was a huge downgrade yep. from Teddy Two Gloves so I mean Teddy you know had had success other places and then you move on to Sam Darnold and now I mean yeah well he probably shouldn't be the star anymore but now they're already talking about moving on from him and it's like man if I'm a quarterback Yep. I got to be, you know, I, I want to know that, hey, if I have one little down year, I'm not going to be hunting for a new job. Yeah. You know, midway through the season pretty much because I already know they're trying to, you know, hang me up for next year. So I think that might have a lot to do with it as well. And then, you know, him not backing rule was just kind of icing on the cake. Yeah. Well, to your point, I remember with Teddy Bridgewater, we were getting in a shootout with the Chiefs. I mean, it was, we had a legit offense going there, but. You also got a factor, and we had guys like Curtis Samuel in the offense at the time and a healthy Christian McCaffrey, so maybe that had something to do with it. But one thing I kind of disagree here with uh, Albert Breer is the fact that he thinks that Tepper not publicly backing Matt Rule kind of hurts a little bit. I mean, he's still got the guy's still employed after two very lackluster seasons so far in the NFL as a head coach. I mean, I, I feel like, if he has to come out and back them, that kind of raises some skepticism if I'm a quarterback, just in my personal opinion. I don't see how that helps matters at all. I don't think – I think he's reading into that a little bit more. He's making that a bigger deal than what it really is, in my personal opinion. Do you kind of agree with that? You kind of see my point there? I mean, 
I don't see why he has to come out and publicly back him. Obviously, he has him on the payroll. He's still the head coach after people were demanding the call for his head uh, coming into this past offseason with a lot of really great coaching candidates out there. I think it's, without a doubt, he's still behind Matt Rule. Does he need to back him? Not necessarily. Yeah. But just because he's on payroll, I do not know if that means he is on board with Matt Rule. Because when you sign a guy to six years and how many ever million, you know, his buyout is so high right now, for all we know, Tepper's just buying time. Yeah. However, I will agree with you if you come out and say it, does that, you know, raise some eyebrows? Yeah. You know, potentially. Yeah. So it's it's a tough situation. I mean, the bottom line is he looks like another one of those college coaches that's not going to work out in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, Which, honestly, I'm not I, a huge I, I fan of a, Tepper as an owner to begin with. Yeah. I, I, not a lot of people are. Let's just put nah, it that way. He's a moron. Yeah. I mean, look back to that Cam Newton decision uh, this past season. That was strictly – I don't think that was a deal where that gave you the best chance to win. I think that was strictly a ticket sales deal. Because we were there a couple weeks before Cam Newton got signed. Things weren't looking too great in that stadium. We had – there's more away fans than anything, and the turnout still wasn't very great for that game against the Patriots. No, you're right. It wasn't. But, you know, Tepper, this is not, and that was, or I should say that was not, even the first kind of head-scratching move he made. Yeah. I mean, remember a few years ago back when Kaepernick and Eric Reed were trying to sue the NFL? Yeah. And he brought in Reed, which, I mean, bringing him in was one thing, but making him the eighth highest paid safety in the league? Yeah. It's like you don't think that was a little bit of a political stance. Like didn't play great with us. No, either. he didn't. Like, look, was he one of the best sixty-four in the league and probably deserved to have a starting Absolutely. job? Yeah. Yes, I think he deserved one more so than Colin Kaepernick. Did. Oh yeah, because he wouldn't. You know, he also didn't try and get his coach fired, but like Kaepernick did. But Eric Reed was not the eighth best safety in the league yet. He was paid eighth best safety in the league money. Yeah. So Tepper kind of goes with his heart and not his head on a lot of these things. Or maybe it is his head, but his head isn't win a Super Bowl long term. We see that with the Cam Newton deal. I mean, we came on the show and kind of scratched our heads. And it kind of seems like it's going that way, you know, moving forward. Kind of what we talked about yesterday with the Kirk Cousins thing. I mean, I just don't see it as a long-term thing that will help the Panthers win the Super Bowl. Yeah. And Tepper, it's weird because he comes from an organization that has had three head coaches in the last 50 years. Yeah. I mean, he was a minority owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, you know, name the head coach before Chuck Knoll because I guarantee you nobody can. I, I have can. no idea. Yeah. I have no All idea. I know is Chuck Knoll, Bill Cower, and uh, Mike Tomlin. Mike, Obviously, yeah. Knoll came in, I would say, to like 68, 69. There was a few before him, but not in anyone who was here or is probably listening to the show's memory. Yeah, and um, I'm glad you brought up Kirk Cousins there because we obviously went on that whole deal yesterday. But um, my guy Breer here, he kind of made a prediction on who the Panthers get, and I kind of want to get your thoughts on this, and I'm not opposed to it. He thinks the Panthers are going to wind up with somebody like Jimmy Garoppolo, he doesn't necessarily believe that's a positive deal or a good thing. Thoughts, Philip? The thing is with a guy like, say, a Garoppolo, yeah. I mean, he's he's bad. He finds ways to win, but when you look at like his stats, his quarterback rating, completion percentage, yeah. it's bad. However, he has proven that with the right team, he can put you in a situation that's good enough to get you close. Yeah. I would prefer to be 
have a quarterback that would definitely win you the Super Bowl. Yep. But with somebody like him who's going to be off asking for way less money than Kirk Cousins, I don't know how many years Garoppolo has left on his deal, but I think he, you'd be able to keep him around a little longer. You wonder, could he be one of the like the perfect mentor guys? Could you do what the Niners did with the whole Trey Lance situation? Bring him in, just kind of get the team relevant, because at this point the future of the NFC South is as fuzzy as any division in yeah. football, maybe any division in professional major American sports. Would you look at the landscape of the NFC South right now, the Bucks have come out and stated they're willing to roll with Blaine Gabbert. I mean that that's that, that that's insane to me. Matty got, Ice has gone cold. Yeah, Matty Ice is no longer the Matty Ice of MVP years or the MVP year. And then you look at the Saints, you have a just a, a complete cluster with Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston. Taysom Hill, you gave a pretty hefty contract. I just a lot of a lot of question ones when it comes to the quarterback position in the NFC South. And I think a guy like Garoppolo does give you kind of an upper hand in this division. Surprisingly, it's kind of crazy to say that that Jimmy Garoppolo is a guy that gives you an upper hand at the quarterback position in any division in the NFL. But that's the case in the NFC South. And I like your point there. I think he's a good mentor. I think he really accepted his role with the whole Trey Lance situation in San Francisco. And we saw that after the Super Bowl. He accepted the fact he's not the guy anymore. He, I think he accepted his role as a mentor. And I thought he did quite well. The problem of Jimmy Garoppolo is, is more so his playing ability. He's always he's always had a, a solid offensive line. Even when he first got there and the Niners weren't necessarily good, they still had some ballers on that offensive line. Joe Staley comes to mind. That was a guy that's – I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but if there was a Hall of Very Good – he definitely would be there. I mean, he's always had an offensive line. They always had the run game figured out, and he had a world-class coach in Kyle Shanahan. You're not necessarily going to be getting that with the Panthers. Yes, you're going to have weapons in Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey. Wait, 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 wait. Did you say Robbie Anderson? Robbie Anderson. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I had to give you junk. Yeah, it, no, I know. Robbie Anderson's still a, a solid receiver, despite the fact he wasn't gr- great last year, didn't play up to our expectations. He's still a solid guy that a lot of teams would like to have on their squad. The one thing I would like to see if you do bring Garoppolo in, you got to get a tight end. This is a guy, like yep. you said, he's not great, so you want to have a big body in the middle of the field for him to throw the football to, yep. and he has always had a tight end. I mean, I don't know, and I may be wrong, but I don't know if he's ever started a game where either George Kittle or Gronk was not on the field with him. Well, Kittle got hurt, didn't he? Kittle got hurt for a couple of years. Or not yeah, but I think that was games. when Garoppolo yeah. was hurt, too. Yeah. I mean, or if it was, it was when Garoppolo wasn't having as much success. Yeah. He hasn't had either any way, success. Either way, I get your point. Yeah. yeah. Either way, I get your point. I mean, that's a guy that relies heavy on his tight ends and – Kittle was a guy that was kind of a do-it-all kind of tight end. He could block. He could receive. He was a big factor on that offense. And the run game was something that always clicked for the Niners. I mean, they were kind of they're the kind of team where you could plug a running back back there and get a decent outing from them. We saw that in the Super Bowl, and we've seen that in playoffs and past with them and Jimmy Garoppolo. And I don't know. I don't. I like the idea of Jimmy Garoppolo being on this team, but I don't know if it's the best fit for Jimmy Garoppolo. If that makes any sense. But when you look at the quarterback market right now and the guys you could potentially get through trade, uh, I think he's probably your best-case scenario if you're the Panthers because I don't think Russell Wilson would necessarily be a good deal. I think Russell Wilson is no longer prime Russ Wilson, and uh, there's no telling what kind of contract he's going to want. Rodgers, I mean, I don't want to invest in a 37-year-old quarterback no matter how good he is right now, and I don't think this is a team – 
built to win right now, especially with this offensive line. And then you look at Kirk Cousins. I'm fond of Kirk Cousins. Deshaun Watson, no. Too many unknowns. And you look at the quarterback class, I don't think it's that great. So I think Jimmy Garoppolo, he's a solid starter. He's kind of what you wanted Sam Darnold to be. Thinking back, you wanted Sam Darnold. You expected his ceiling to maybe maybe be a Tannehill-type player, and that's kind of what Garoppolo is. Yeah, and that's why I really would not like him long term. Yeah, because I really want to win a Super Bowl. As I explained yesterday, you know, I, yeah. I can die happy if the Panthers win a Super Bowl yeah. before I pass. Um, well, I'm but sorry, you could be miserable in, for the rest of your life. I am, but if they can just bring him in, like I said, and even if he's there for three or four years, just kind of get a solid team, make Carolina a destination where people would like to come. Yeah, and then maybe you either draft a solid quarterback, yeah. or heck. Maybe he puts you in a Los Angeles Rams situation. You know, he's your Jared Goff, good enough to get you to the Super Bowl and not win it. And then Carolina becomes a more tradable destination, and you kind of sell the future for one guy. Which, hey, I'm okay with that if uh, the guy we get is Matthew Stafford esque. Yeah. So maybe there'll be a you know a quarterback five years down the line that's in the same junk situation as him. Maybe like a Trevor Lawrence will have uh, wasted Maybe. his career away in Jacksonville, and we can trade for him and give them Garoppolo and uh, find ourselves with a Lombardi trophy. What's well, interesting you brought up, he could be a guy that comes here for three or four years and just kind of make it a destination or a competitive franchise where people want to come and play for. That's kind of what – is it fair to say that's kind of what Kirk Cousins did with the Vikings? Not necessarily a playoff team every year, but they were always kind of on the fringe, always very competitive in most of their games. And Kirk Cousins kind of made that a respectable franchise, not to say they weren't beforehand, but he kind of cemented them as a team that you expect to be in the playoffs every year. And, uh, I mean, that's what Kirk Cousins did with the Vikings, and I'll be fine with that if Garoppolo did it with us. I'm not going to go on a limb or go as far as to say that this is a team that should be winning the Super Bowl in two or three years. I'm fine with being competitive and being let's get in, getting some eight or nine win seasons for the next few years just to kind of get things established and got, get guys that want to play here. Because you look at what Kirk Cousins did with the Vikings, Deshaun Watson even said it when he looks at his likely destinations that he wants. The Vikings was one of them. Vikings were kind of the front runners of teams he wants to go play for. And with Deshaun Watson without his legal issues, I think is a top 10 quarterback. Some people maybe argue a top five quarterback in this league. So, I mean, that kind of fits into your plan of kind of what you want with these Carolina Panthers and Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, and can you blame Deshaun? I mean, heck, I would like to throw the ball to Justin Jefferson and yep. Adam Thielen all day. Yeah. He had a heck of a running back there in uh, Dalvin Cook. I mean, it would kind of stink to live in Minnesota where it's like five below all the time. But yep. other than that, you know, <laughs> hey, quite the destination. But, uh, no, it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens. I think that we are one of many teams that currently do not have our quarterback on their current roster. I mean, you think about teams like Denver with Aaron Rodgers potentially on the move and all that. So Maybe Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting to see, but uh, the bottom line is you just wish there was that guy in this draft. I mean, the Panthers have never, in my opinion, had that guy. Yes, Cam had his few good years, but still, I never – trusted cam when he dropped back to pass i mean oh, we've yeah. never had like a hall of fame style quarterback like if cam gets in the hall of fame it'll not be because of his throwing ability but he'll be his combination of throwing and running yep like we've never had that guy enough if running more so than guy, anything yeah but if we could just have that guy for heck i don't care if it's like four or five years i just want one time to have that guy when he drops back to pass it's like you know what i trust him you mentioned 100 
the quarterbacks in this draft and not being too keen on going forward with a guy from this draft. If you had to pick one guy, who would it be from this draft? That's tough. Probably not your boy Kenny Pickett. So would you go Malik Willis? Because I'm definitely not on the Malik Willis bandwagon. I mean, he seems to be like a uh, like a Lamar Jackson type where he's kind of run first. That gives, puts you back right where you were with Cam Newton, and I don't think he's going to be as good as Cam Newton with his throwing ability. I think I would go Corral. Cor- ah, okay. All right. All right. Why? Why? Why, why Matt Corral? <sighs> That's a guy I'm not necessarily sold on either. I'm not either. Yeah, I just it's it's more like I I agree with your Malik Willis take. Yeah, and Kenny Pickett had one year as a starter at Pitt. That's like, true, dude. You couldn't even start two years at Pitt. Yeah, he kind of reminds me of like a you know I don't know, like a Mitch Trubisky, but a little worse. Yeah. So I I think Willis or sorry uh, Matt Corral. Not that I'm really sold on him, but. I think if anybody's going to turn into anything out of those three, that's probably who it's going to be. Yeah. I'll, I like Pickett more so because he's kind of the quarterback I'm looking for for this franchise, a guy that could be a pocket passer, uh, can be competent throwing the ball, something we haven't had in a while. But uh, I will say Sam Howell, just because he's a good thrower of the football, he has that big playability on his feet, and he's used to not playing with an offensive line. That is true. Yep. I've not thought about that. You know, <sighs> I just I just hate that blue so much that he comes from. I mean, it's like yeah. the thought of the baby. Team blue aside, I'm not like too keen on it either. Off a bridge. Not too keen on either. But team aside, I wouldn't be opposed to Sam Howell getting drafted in the second, third round. That wouldn't be too bad. Might get picked earlier, but say if he's there, why not take a chance on him? Well, heck, we don't have a second or a third round pick, so uh, that's out the door. Well, speaking of that ugly baby blue. ECU has a uh, tough series this weekend in Chapel Hill for the first two games against UNC. A preview of that and much more here on the other side of this quick timeout here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Every Monday during the NFL season, get the latest on the Carolina Panthers as Jim Zoki from the Panthers Radio Network joins the P-Man. Bring on the good stuff, universe. This and every Monday right here on 94.3 The Game. The flagship station for the ECU Pirates. Texas Roadhouse in Greenville is happy to support the community. At Texas Roadhouse, they not only want to be your favorite restaurant, they also want you to know they love this community and love supporting it. From providing food for charity golf tournaments to their school support programs. Texas Roadhouse is there when the Greenville community needs them. Also, it doesn't hurt that their food is awesome. Steaks, ribs, chicken, you name it, it's legendary. Texas Roadhouse, Southwest Greenville Boulevard, Greenville. Pirate fans, the 2022 football season is going to be one for the record books. East Carolina is coming off a seven-win bowl season, and 2022 is shaping up to be even better. The Pirates need you to pack Daddy Ficklin Stadium this fall with a great home slate that includes in-state rival North Carolina State. The American Conference schedule features home games against UCF, Memphis, Houston, and Navy. Season tickets are on sale for as low as $125. Get your tickets today by visiting ecupirates.com. Country Mart stores of Pitt County are locally owned and part of your community. At Country Mart, they offer that great Shell gasoline with Shell rewards that save you money at the pump. And these days, that's really important. 
And don't forget Smitty's Restaurant at the Highway 11 store with great lunch specials daily and Pat's desserts that will be the best you've ever had. The Stokes location also offers hot food. Country Mart with two locations, Highway 11 between Greenville and Bethel and Highway 903 in Stokes. Do you own a timeshare? Well, face the facts. You made a mistake. You made a bad purchase. A timeshare is not an investment. It's a money pit that continues forever. If you use your timeshare, that's great. But if you don't and you want to legally get out of your contract, call my friends right now at the Timeshare Exit Hotline. They're an experienced team of lawyers who help good people like you get out of a timeshare contract that they just don't want. Don't throw away your money on maintenance fees. Use it for things you really want. We can help you end your timeshare contract and stop the money drain immediately. If you are ready to move on with your timeshare, call our team right now. Cancel your timeshare now with a free call. 800-289-0413. 800-289-0413. That's 800-289-0413. Podcasts about the Pirates and Panthers are available. Sorry about that. I screwed it up. Let me do it again. Podcasts about the Pirates and Panthers available now online at the all-new 943thegame.com. And now, back to the P-Man, the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Patrick Johnson Show, Ben D. Baby Byron filling in alongside my right-hand man, the ref, Philip Pilkington. And a uh, big week for ECU baseball coming into this weekend. They play on the diamond against UNC. Are we, are we, uh, is it fair to say maybe they're rivals in baseball now? Or are we not quite there yet? I think we are. Yeah. I think um, there's been a lot of weekend series, and they've signed some kind of deal. I don't know how long it is. I think it's like five or six years where they will play a weekend series now every year. Yeah, the I next think five or second six week years. of the season every year. Yeah. So. I know next year is going to be the opposite where we get two home games, they get one. So, yeah, I think it, it's becoming one for sure. Kind of looking at this series coming in, there's a lot of unknowns with UNC. Obviously, they're undefeated, but they've played teams – like Seton Hall and Elon so far. Obviously, Seton Hall not too good as they beat them uh, by at least four runs in every game they played, and the first two almost being by 10 runs. So, um, not. Did they too... put up like 18 one game or something? One game, I know for a fact they put up like at least 13. So, they they the bats have been clicking for UNC, but we don't know if that was just because of the pitching they faced or what the deal is. And that's not a good sign considering when you look at our starting rotation. A lot of unknowns with ECU right now, especially when it comes to that Friday night starter with Garrett Saylor. No, that's true, but I also wonder, well, I'll flip that. What do we know about Carolina's starting rotation? Because here's the thing. It could be just because it's the first weekend and a lot was going on. I don't know much about Carolina's baseball team this year, but one starter went six innings, one starter went four, one went three and two-thirds. Yep. So... And it's not like they were letting up a lot of runs. You know, yep. this was not like, oh man, this dude's getting shelled. We're taking him out. No, this was just the fact that they didn't throw a lot of pitches. So, is ECU in a tough spot, which we'll build on here in a second? Absolutely. Carolina may be in that same tough spot. Like I said, I don't have a lot of research on the Carolina baseball team. Yeah. Um, 
But, you know, with what you saw this weekend, now, of course, they're trying to get other guys in. I mean, heck, they're playing Seton Hall. This was a team that finished under 500 a year ago. They did have a winning record in league play, but you know, they're playing the Big East baseball. I mean, Big East is not the conference it is in basketball or anywhere near it. So it's not like they're playing, you know, the cream of the crop team. Yeah, well, I got your answer to uh, the stars when it comes to UNC. Uh, projected to kind of be their uh, Friday night starters, Brandon Schaefer. And he's in his first year for UNC, a JUCO guy. And uh, he allowed a few runs in their series against Seton Hall before going six innings and giving up five hits with six strikeouts. So he's he's solid, not bad, not bad. But obviously a guy that's still getting acclimated with the Tar Heels. And then uh, their other guys are projected to be starters later in the weekend. Max Carlson is a guy that's in his second year, uh, had an up-and-down freshman year, had a 6.04 ERA. So not great, not a... Uh, not the best, and uh, coming back from an injury from last year. So, just like this UNC, or this ECU starting rotation, there's a lot of questions, like you said, with this UNC starting rotation. We're just kind of figuring out what they have. And then the final guy, Shadon Peavy House, was a transfer from Coastal Carolina. So, I mean, he's he, he hasn't been here. It's his first year with the team. Still a lot of things they got to figure out when it comes to their starting rotation. And uh, maybe that's a little bit to be uh, – be optimistic about coming this series, when especially when you look at ECU's at bats and they're hitting, and they really struggled against Bryant, but kind of bounced back in a big way against Campbell. Campbell, who's a team that's kind of been a regional kind of staple here in the past few years. No, that's true, and you know, ECU's definitely gonna have to hit the ball this weekend. I mean, yep. they look. I know they were playing Seton Hall, but they scored a lot of runs. Yeah, in fact, they've got one guy who's already got three dingers. Or not even including their midweek game against Elon. And this game last year, you know, ECU beat Carolina 11-10 to 10 yep. here in Greenville. So and I think it it was like a bases-clearing walk-off double from yep. AMAC off the left center field yeah, wall. Yeah, I do remember that. It was, yeah. what won the Pirates the game. Great so. memory from this guy. Appreciate Perfect it. Perfect memory. Yeah. Well, we had to give the right fielder some heck after that one because he had uh, not talked to us about the first seven innings. We were trying to be nice at first. Obviously, he didn't say anything, so we got kind of mean with him. And the first thing he said, I believe in the seventh, he hit a shot over our heads. (laughs) He's like, one of you guys need to go fetch that ball I just hit. And we were like, oh, heck with you, dude. You know, obviously, we didn't keep it that G-rated. So we had to really give him uh, a hard time when AMAC hit that double. So I think that's the biggest reason I remember it. Yeah, um, kind of looking at the hitting for UNC. Vance Honeycutt is the guy you mentioned earlier who's already got three dingers on the year. Um, he's looking to be the first Tar Heel since Seth Williams in 2008 to hit three home runs in his first two games. Actually, he is the first guy to do that since Seth Williams. Then you got guys like Johnny Castagnazzi and uh, Danny Soretti. I mean, guys that have been staples, guys we're familiar with as we've played UNC in the past few years that – uh, can always put out run after run. They did it in that Seton Hall series, but of course we don't know how good Seton Hall is. We assume not very good. But uh, those, they, just a lot of them, when it comes to their, their their pitching staff, specifically their starters, when there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of moving pieces, there's been a lot of stability and a lot of uh, consistency when it comes to their at-bats. A lot of guys returning. And um, I guess the good part is, is that when you look at the scouting report, when it comes to their hitting, you know what you're playing against. And you knew you can beat them before. You've beaten them before. And uh, you got a good idea of what the game plan is going to come look like coming into this weekend. I like that. Yep. I like that we know what we're seeing. Yep. The problem is, what are we putting out there on the mound? Yeah. That's still a big question. You kind of hit on this earlier, and then I kind of went off topic talking about that UNC was in the same boat. But obviously, Cooch will start. 
My guess is Saturday, but they could bump them up to the Friday night starter. I wouldn't be opposed to that. I kind of say do it. I'm yeah. under the impression you do it. You make them a Friday night starter. And then you have Sailor and Hunter who were pitched last, you know, were the starters last week. Yeah. And then there's obviously there's been speculations whether or not Logish will start at some point. I know you said he, he's coming off an injury, yeah. so he threw an inning and a third and two different appearances over the weekend, let up one run. But it's still with the ECU starters, it's like who is this who's it gonna be? Obviously we don't know the status of Wiz. We know he's obviously not throwing this weekend. Yep. As coach made that clear at the end of last weekend. But is 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 Wiz practicing with the team right now, or is there any word on that or is we, so we, we don't know when it comes to if Wiz is currently practicing with the team. but No, all we know is that it's I don't believe it's injury-related because Coach did say that he broke a team rule. So And then he gave yeah. us the old uh, – and he even said, I'm going to give you guys the Bill Belichick response. There he we broke go. a team rule. So that's all he's, he's telling us. So obviously it wasn't something extremely minor considering he's out two weeks now, not just one. It wasn't, you know, like Cam Newton forgetting to wear a tie on the plane kind yeah. of thing. Um like he did in 2016 going to that Seattle game. But uh, Derek Anderson, uh, what happened? I think I think D.A. threw no, a pick Tolbert, six. Her, Tolbert like bobbled the ball, and then I think Sherman grabbed it and then ran it back for a pick six. Uh, well, mistaken. hey, you know, if Cam would have been in, he couldn't hit Tolbert in the flats anyways. He would have zipped <laughs> it over his head and would have been caught by somebody on the sidelines. Yeah. So, dang it, D.A., you actually threw somewhat of an accurate ball and hosed the Panthers. Yeah. In our abysmal 2016 season. But, no, yeah, we don't know what the deal is with Wiz, um, obviously, other than he's not playing this week. So it's going to be interesting to see how this rotation is handled. Will it be handled the same way? Wouldn't be opposed to it. The starters did not seem to be the problem yep. last weekend. Yeah. And I uh, I kind of look into this, uh, this bullpen right now when it comes to ECU, and I think you have a lot of options there and a lot of quality options. I mean, obviously, you know you have what you have with C.J. Mayhew, but I thought – Carter Spivey in that Bryant series gave you a couple of very good innings. Uh, and so did other guys, Josh Groves and a few others. I mean, guys looked really good out of the bullpen coming into that game. And when we get to the heart of this UNC lineup, has had so much stability. And it's obviously putting up numbers in their, in their game so far. Uh, I'm feeling pretty confident about this bullpen moving forward. And maybe that can be the great equalizer coming into this series is just our bullpen in general. Yeah, it definitely can be. The only thing I'm worried about, though, is if you can't find that third starter. Yep. Or, obviously, we don't know when Wiz is coming back. It could be not being able to find a second starter. Now you're doing three staff days a week. Yeah. You're doing a staff day on Tuesday. Not good. Staff day on Saturday. Staff day on Sunday. Not good. And then, you know, if, you know, God forbid, Cooch has a, a bad start. I mean, he's human. Yes, he has some good starts to his name, but just like any other pitcher, he's had some rough days. Nobody's perfect. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if he, you know, only goes three innings or something on Friday night, and then, you know, say Mayhew comes in and throws the next four, now you're not using CJ the rest of the week unless he's maybe coming in to get a final out in a game on like a Sunday situation. So, you know, uh, I who knows? Yeah. And obviously that's a big concern. I mean, um, You've brought it up before, and it's kind of been the big knock on Coach Godwin, knowing when to pull guys or knowing when not to pull guys. Um, that's always kind of been an issue. And you look back, back to the series against Bryant, coming into this Campbell game, I wasn't too confident in ECU, I, I must admit, just because we went through all of our arms in that bullpen and all of our stars. There was just kind of a lot of uncertainty coming into that Campbell game where it's like, how are these guys going to be feeling? How are they going to bounce back from a, a short turnaround here? And uh, – you burnt through all your arms. I mean, just 
what is the health status of these guys? How are they feeling? And uh, obviously it worked out for us, but uh, you obviously can't keep doing that throughout the whole season. You can't be burning through your whole bullpen in a series moving forward, especially when you have these weekday games coming up. No, you definitely can't. Um, and now, obviously, the weekday games, you're not going to put as much stock in as league play. Yeah. League play is kind of what it's going to get you in the tournament. Of course, that is kind of our opportunity to get quad one wins as well as ECU's weekday schedule is actually a little tougher than their weekend schedule. So, yeah. heck, maybe uh, rely on your team to be better than everybody in league play and uh, go out there and throw cooch on a Tuesday against Virginia <laughs> Tech or Duke or somebody like that. Let's beat some of these ACC schools. <laughs> All right, we're up against time here on the Patrick Johnson Show. I was your host, Ben B-Baby B- Barham. My man on the ones and twos of my coast, the ref, Philip Pilkington. The P-Man was not here today. He has to cover some second round of NCHSAA basketball action in the playoffs of his good friend and our good friend, Jay Sunhalter. So be sure to check out their social media and see where you can stream those games. Baseball tomorrow, UNC, first pitch scheduled for 4 o'clock, I believe. That'll be live right here on 94 through the game, the flagship station, the ECU Pirates of Scott Rogers, Scooter, and the legendary Coach Show. All that comes underway right here on 94 through the game. That's going to do it for us here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Reminding you to stay safe and listen to some Pirate basketball tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Baseball. <laughs>